You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting for WFHB, this is Benedict Jones. And I'm Cade Young. This is the WFHB Local News for Thursday, June 22nd, 2023. Later in the program, WFHB correspondent Zero Rose explores a new land trust housing development implementing a different model for fostering home ownership for low and median income households here in Bloomington. More in the bottom half of our program. Also coming up in the next half hour, WFHB's Richard Fish speaks with artistic director for Constellation Stage and Screen, Kate Galvin, about the Arts Fair on the Square, which takes place on Saturday, June 24th, from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. But first, your Statehouse Roundup. From WFHB, this is the State House Roundup. For Thursday, June 22, 2023, I'm Brooklyn Lambright. On Wednesday, June 14th, a federal judge heard arguments in favor of blocking Senate Bill 480, which prohibits transgender children from receiving gender-affirming care. The ACLU sued the state after Senate Bill 480 was passed on grounds of violation of the U.S. Constitution, including the Equal Protections Clause of the 14th Amendment. The ACLU also says the bill violates the Medicaid Act and the Affordable Care Act because the bill prohibits essential services that would be authorized under Medicaid. Kenneth Falk, the legal director for the ACLU, said, quote, This is going to be tragic. Kids become suicidal. Kids kill themselves. The statistics about the increased rate of suicide for people who are transgender are alarming. And this is why, because they don't get care. They have to get this injunction, end quote. If the federal judge reviewing the ACLU's case decides not to approve the injunction, Senate Bill 480 will take effect in Indiana on July 1, 2023. The state has not offered any alternative medical assistance for transgender youth. Instead, elected officials in favor of the bill are encouraging LGBTQ youth to seek therapy, which opponents say is not effective. The Eskenazi Medical Group of Indianapolis has decided to do away with its non-compete clauses. This year, Indiana legislators passed a bill to keep primary physicians from signing non-compete clauses. But the Eskenazi Medical Group went further, eliminating the clauses for nearly 50 of its 270 primary physicians and advanced practice providers. Non-compete clauses bar physicians from leaving their jobs to work in a similar position, usually within a specified time frame and geographical range. The AP reports that Curtis Wright, the CEO of Eskenazi Medical Group, said he doesn't want doctors who aren't good fits and that he never really felt non-compete clauses necessary. In recent years, non-compete clauses have become unpopular, and the Federal Trade Commission is considering banning them in the future. While the Eskenazi Medical Group is ahead of the curve, it is likely not the only Indiana hospital to eliminate non-compete clauses going forward. In August 2022, President Biden announced his plan to cancel at least $10,000 in student loan debt. Now, Senate Republicans have announced their own plan in response. The GOP's plan is called Lowering Education Costs and Debt Act, which contains five bills meant to deal with increasing college costs. Senate Republicans are arguing Biden's plan will return students to the same level of student loan debt in five years. However, Republicans say their plan aims to repair rising costs long term. Senator Bill Cassidy said, quote, Unlike President Biden's plan, this plan actually addresses the root causes of the student debt crisis, end quote. 
The bill would require universities to be more upfront about tuition costs, debt after graduation, and the duration and expected monthly payments of loans. It would also replace the nine student loan repayment options offered by the Department of Education with two options, one being the 10-year repayment plan and the other a plan which allows borrowers with low loan balances to receive quicker student loan forgiveness. The bill would also eliminate the Graduate Plus loans, which allow for higher borrowing limits for graduate loans than undergraduate loans. The Supreme Court is expected to make a decision this month on Biden's student debt relief plan. However, if the Supreme Court doesn't make a decision before June 30th, borrowers will be expected to resume payments beginning in October. That's all for the State House Roundup. For WFHB News, I'm Brooklyn Lambright. In today's feature report, WFHB correspondent Zero Rose speaks with Nathan Ferreira, Director of Real Estate Development for Summit Hill Community Development Corporation, the nonprofit subsidiary of the Bloomington Housing Authority, on their monthly information sessions about their plan to build more affordable homes by holding the land in trust. Rose has more. Today we have with us Nathan Ferreira. He is Director of Real Estate Development for Summit Hill Community Development Corporation, which is the nonprofit subsidiary of the Bloomington Housing Authority. Habitat for Humanity is apparently one of the partner builders for the land trust homes, and he's here today to let us know about an event this week and program and the project in general. So uh, thank you for being with us, Nathan. Yeah, thanks for having me. So the Summit Hill Community Development Corporation, how far back does this go? Yeah, so housing authorities across the country um, start nonprofit wings to extend uh, the reach of their mission and access additional grant funds. Um, So the Summit Hill Community Development Corporation was formed in 2019 by the Bloomington Housing Authority. And... um, a couple of the initial projects are one, the community land trust, and then also we have a, a child care project that we're working to build for um, early childhood uh, care center. And then we're also involved in the course building at the Hopewell site. And at um, Hope, Hopewell, the old hospital site, uh, we will be involved in that project, in that in that rehab, and partnering with Centerstone to, um, to provide services there. Community Land Trust is kind of our uh, flagship program that we're getting started. Um, The city generously is contributing single family lots that were developed by Trinitas um, at the Arlington and 17th um, Trinitas location called the Atlas. Um, They they, uh, developed 45 single family lots um, with infrastructure um, that we will be using to start the, the community land trust. And that's where we're hoping to build single family and plexes all for low to moderate income, uh, up to 100% area median income um, homeowners. It's northwest of 17th and Arlington. 
development of apartments um, called the Atlas. Um, and then north northeast of the apartments are 45 lots that have been laid out. Um, and we're in the process of having those transferred to Trinitas to Summit Hill now. And so part of what we're doing is we're starting to have information sessions because we want to let it be known that we're looking for uh, low to moderate income home buyers to basically go through the homeowner, homeowner education course and purchase uh, one of these discounted homes. Um, so Habitat is one route to have a community land trust home. And then the other route, we're working with Clear Creek builders, uh, manufactured home builders, um, who can build at a price point that actually is affordable for lower income families. And I can tell you a little bit how that model works. Uh, essentially, um, by removing the cost of the land and infrastructure, the home buyer is only paying a mortgage on the, that discounted rate. And so for these, like for partnering with Clear Creek, uh, the CLT, the Community Land Trust, will contribute the land for low-income house builds. And that, that becomes the discount uh, for, for the, the sales price. And we will add some additional cash subsidy basically to get the home buyers to a down payment of 20%. So the value of that land plus what any additional subsidy we provide will add up to 20% in these cases. And in that way, uh, that's another private mortgage insurance is another cost that's taken out of the equation and makes it that much more affordable for a, a lower income house buyer, home buyer. Is that working with a particular lender? No, we have been, we've done a couple lender trainings and we have several lenders that are interested in working with home buyers uh, for community land trust homes. Um, there's a precedent nationally. Uh, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac both have mortgage riders that allow for split ownership between the house and ownership of the land. So in this model, the land actually remains owned by the community land trust. The land will remain owned by the community land trust and the structure is what the home buyer is actually purchasing. So we have a number of lenders that are interested in partnering. Um, what we will do is when, when we have homeowners apply to our program and they've been accepted, we will give them a list of partnering lenders and then they choose uh, who they want to apply for a mortgage with. And so the homeowner still needs to qualify for a mortgage in this scenario, and but there are a number of programs that the banks we're partnering with utilize to to work with lower income home buyers, like FHA loans, um, that federal program, and a, kind of a state program equivalent. The other main piece of um, a community land trust that I'll mention is just that it the whole goal is that this be remains permanently affordable. Um, so the ownership is recorded through our, our ground lease, uh, which allows the land to still be owned by the uh, land trust and the home to be purchased by the homeowner. And the land trust sets out all the stipulations, all the rules about that. Contained within the grant, the ground lease is also um, the resale formula. And the resale formula is um, when people talk about shared equity home ownership, that's essentially what we're referring to. So when an initial CLT land trust homeowner goes to sell, um, this resale formula kicks in and they will be sold, uh, th their house will be purchased from them by the land trust and sold to a new qualifying home buyer. Appreciation on the home is determined by an appraisal from when they bought the house to an appraisal on when the house is resold. 
and a portion of that appreciation stays with the house and a portion goes with the homeowner um, as their wealth that they've generated. So the portion that stays with the house actually reduces the sales price for the next low to moderate income home buyer. And that's what creates permanent affordability. So as we all know, uh, house, uh, houses appreciate in value quicker than our incomes rise. Um, that's especially true here in Bloomington. Um, and so you have to grow your subsidy on that house if you want it to remain permanently affordable to somebody that's under 100% area median income. And so that's how, that's how we accomplish that is through the resale formula and the ground lease. The event tomorrow evening at 5.30 at the Monroe County Library is an information session about how to be involved with this program, uh, how to purchase a house with the land trust. We are just getting started, so it's, um, it's a great time to come learn about it. Even if this moment right now is not when you're ready to buy a home, uh, it's good to plan ahead as well. And do you know what that median income figure is? For a family of four, that's the one I have in my head. 100% um, AMI this year is, I believe, 91200 um, For an individual, I want to say it's right around 61000 That's 100% area median income. And so, you know what the basic breakdown of one of the homes would, would come to, the total price? So it's based on the appraised value. So we can we can guess at this point, um, uh, but we don't know for sure um, because the house isn't. Once it's built, it'll we'll we'll know what it is. But so if we went for around an average sales price of a modest three bedroom here in Bloomington right now, if we went with that number of like two hundred sixty five thousand, and if the land value um, is roughly forty five thousand. Um, we're looking at a sales price for you know somebody that qualifies of um, two hundred and ten thousand, and if if their income is lower and we add additional subsidy, that brings down the sales price for them on that house. So essentially, the goal is we we will sell below market rate price, uh, priced homes um, to reach the area median income of the household um, to a point. Um, there's, I mean, we only have so much subsidy we can add. So we've got to be strategic about how we share that from buyer to buyer. Um, but um, the goal is to get people that would not otherwise be able to purchase a home into home ownership. And so habitats involved, does that mean the yeah. habitat list is uh, kind of queued up to, to go in? Or are you guys as a separate uh, entity? The habitat home buyers at the community for the community land trust will be solely through their program. So yeah, they maintain their own uh, applications and homeowner education. Whereas uh, we'll have a separate uh, wait list that will go up to 100% AMI, where habitat only goes up to 80% AMI, um, and they they tend to be able to serve a lower income household um, because of their volunteer labor. Their costs, their construction costs, are much lower um, than than any other builder. Um, so that's that's how they can serve that lower income. So that's where they focus their resources. Whereas we're trying to get some builders on board who can build affordably if we can guarantee the land, um, you know, that they don't have to worry about that cost. Um, so that we're, we're bringing some local builders into affordable housing um, through this community land trust. And um, like I said, right now, it's Clear Creek manufacturing and manufactured homes. Um, but in the future, we hope to add additional um, builders. 
And is that uh, home buyer's course through you guys as well, or is it the one that I think is underhand with the city? It is the one underhand. We just don't have the capacity to do homeowner education at this point, um, just getting started. Um, so we are partnering with HAND. Um, in addition, they have a HUD um, certified housing counselor, which which helps lenders like that. Um, so we are um, working with them to um, do the homeowner education and basically to do the vetting that's that lenders require. Those are the two paths at the moment. I think in the future, we would love to be able to have homeowner education in-house, but we're just, we're not to that point yet. What would be the main way to, for people to look that up? Yeah. Um, So I think coming to the information session, that's our, we're going to be doing these monthly and uh, we welcome people to come. We, we are limited on space. So we're asking people to write um, info at shcdc.org. Um, info at shcdc.org to reserve a spot, but also if they can't make tomorrow night, just to let us know if they want to come to a future one, and we'll be sure to include them in a future invitation. And that's that's kind of the main way to get involved at this point. Uh, we'll continue to broadcast both through our Facebook page and uh, LinkedIn and getting the flyer out there in the community as much as we can. Up next, WFHB's Richard Fish speaks with artistic director for Constellation Stage and Screen, Kate Galvin, about the Arts Fair on the Square, which takes place on Saturday, June 24th, from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. We turn to Richard Fish for more. Square, and I am with Kate Galvin of Constellation Stage and Screen. Hi, Kate. Hi, Richard. How are you? I am fine, and this is really cool. Yeah, it turned out to be a great day. It did. Thank goodness. And well, tell me about the event. How did how did this happen? How did this get organized? Sure. So Arts Fair in the Square has been going on for many years, and it's been run by a variety of different organizations. Um, Bloomington Playwrights Project was the last organization to run this event, and so after our merger to become Constellation, we took it on as a fundraiser for our visual arts programs at the Waldron Arts Center. Oh, yes. Well, it's all over the square, all around the square. Yeah, this year we've got the whole courthouse square, and then also we've closed down 6th Street for vendors there. Ah, yes. So this is a big deal, and I'm delighted to see so many people out here. Yeah. And, well, but let's let's describe for our listeners what we're seeing and what we have here. Sure, we have dozens of vendors who've come not only from Bloomington, but also from Indiana, from Illinois, from Kentucky, from as far away as Florida. Really? Yeah, it's incredible the people who come out for this. And we've got painters and sculptors and even, you know, carpenters 
workers and metal workers. It's really astounding the variety of talent here at the fair. I see. And these are things you can buy. Yes, yes. All of our arts vendors are selling their wares. So it's a wonderful thing to come down and look and try and figure out what you like and yeah. all that. There's some artists over there I see with paintings in various media. Looks like one is oil and there's another one that looks like I'm not sure it might be enamel or something like that. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm not an expert, but I'll take your word for it. Okay. And uh, the metal worker, there's some very interesting metal sculptures over We can see them. Yeah, some fun stuff for your lawn. Mm -hmm. Or sculptures for your home and yep. whatnot. There's a tent over there. What's, what's with the tent? Yeah, so in addition to our arts vendors, we also have a number of community partners with us here today. Uh -huh. And our friends of the Arts Alliance are doing a big activity tent where you can bring your kids to do some art activities. Oh, that's important. Then yeah, I see quite a few children here and families. Yeah. That's really an important part of the whole. Yeah, we want events. it to be a hands-on experience for the kids who maybe aren't as excited by walking around and looking at beautiful art. So there's something for them to do. Exactly, sure, exactly. And then we've also got some pop-up performances happening throughout the day. We've got a few musicians, some singer-songwriters, and also some um, dance companies who are performing throughout the day. They're just going to show up and start, I Yeah, guess. we've got performances at the top of every hour all day at, at the fair. Wow, so this is not only things, but it's performances and performers and lots of people. Yeah, yeah, we're happy. It's, you know, this is the first year that we're doing the fair um, without Taste of Bloomington coinciding with oh, it. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's yeah, right. so, you know, Taste of Bloomington didn't happen this year, so today is a fair-only day. But we've got the Waldron Art Center open all day, and people can go pop in there if they're getting hot, get some air conditioning, cool down, even our concession stand at the Waldron's open all day. So, oh, yes. yeah, you can go in and see the exhibits that are happening there. If anyone uh, hasn't seen the new renovated Waldron, it's worth a look. Yeah, absolutely. You. If you haven't seen it yet, please come by and pop in. It's gorgeous, very art decorated. Yes. <laughs> lovely. You did such a Thank you so much. Well, this is a marvelous thing. The arts fair on the square has a long history here in Bloomington. Yeah. I don't know how long. Oh gosh, uh, I think that 2020, which got canceled, was going to be the 43rd. Wow. And of so, course, that went down to the COVID pandemic. Yeah, yeah. So this is our first time back since 2019 for oh. an in-person arts fair on the square. How great. This is back, and it's lovely, and everybody seems to be having a great time. <laughs> Look at this. Congratulations. Constellation Stage and Screen is relatively new to Bloomington still. Yes. But you are doing so much, all kinds of things. What else are you doing? Well, today is the final weekend of performances for our world premiere musical, The Moon and the Sea, by Creighton Irons and Douglas Lyons. It's a beautiful new musical with a very cool kind of like indie pop, bulky score. And we've got two shows today at the Waldron and our final performances tomorrow. That's a brand new musical that we have put on the map. Can't see it anywhere else, yeah. Let's hope it goes. I hope after this, yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's fantastic. And anything else coming up? Um, we've got a bunch of camps running this summer. Um, and then uh, we have shows going in the galleries all summer long, which is wow. great. And then, yeah, we're, we'll just be taking a little break before we gear up for next year's theatrical season. That's great.
I want to repeat what's going on here. We're here through the magic of radio, but this is actually, of course, Saturday the 24th of June. Yep, 10 to 5 is uh, the public hours for Arts Fair. From 10 to 5 on Saturday, June 24th, and uh, you may not see us because, of course, we're the magic of radio and we're invisible to all these other people. <laughs> but we can see them and all the wonderful things that are going on, and you should too. By George, this is wonderful. Thank you so much, Kate Galvin. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome, and we will see you on the square during the Arts Fair, Saturday, June 24th from 10 to 5. Bye-bye. Now it's time for the WFHB Sports News Briefing, produced by WFHB Sports Correspondent Leo Pies. From WFHB, this is Leo Pies with your Sports News Briefing. On Sunday, the U.S. men's national team beat Canada 2-0 in the CONCACAF Nations League final at Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas. Despite losing two of their star players, midfielder Weston McKinney and right-back Sergio Dest, to suspensions due to red cards received in the 3-0 win over Mexico in the semifinals, the Americans controlled the match and scored two early goals in the first half, enough to guarantee them the win. Midfielder Joe Reyna assisted both U.S. goals and forward Follerine Balogun, in only his second game, scored the second goal of the game, his first for the U.S. men's national team. With the win, the Americans are now back-to-back -back and also the only CONCACAF Nations League winners since the tournament was created in 2019 and has had only two editions so far. The Fever lost 100-94 at home, ending their first two-game winning streak in over a year. With the loss, the Fever is now 4-7 in the season and dropped to 9th in the table. On Sunday's game, the Fever shot 21% from the three-point line and didn't make a three until the end of the third quarter, while the Dream shot 47% from the three-point line. Fever rookie and number one pick Aliyah Boston led the team with 25 points on 10 of 15 shooting and 6 rebounds. This Tuesday, June 20th, the NFL conducted a Zoom meeting to discuss its gambling policies and further educate players and coaches on the rules and regulations around betting. On June 5th, the NFL started an investigation on Indianapolis Colts cornerback Isaiah Rogers Sr. for possible betting on football games, including Colts games. The player allegedly had a sportsbook account under the name of an associate and placed approximately 100 bets over an undisclosed amount of time. With the investigation ongoing, the NFL decided to make the Zoom meeting to go over betting policies. 
In the meeting, NFL Executive Vice President of Communications, Public Affairs and Policy, Jeff Miller, said that the NFL has two main rules when it comes to betting. Don't bet on the NFL and don't bet on other leagues from team facilities. For NFL betting rules, he went into more detail, laying out six more guidelines. Don't bet on the NFL. Don't bet from team facility while traveling for games or at team hotel. Don't have someone bet for you. Don't share team inside information. Don't enter a sports book during the NFL playing season. And don't play daily fantasy football. Miller also said that the NFL is implementing a new rule this year stating that rookies have to go through a mandatory training about the gambling policy. At the end of the meeting, Miller was asked directly about Isaiah Rogers Sr., but declined to get into specifics and give an update on his status. From WFHB, this is your sports news briefing with Leo Pais. Support for the WFHB Local News is brought to you by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. More information online at mpisolarenergy.com. <laughs> 